Welcome to another episode of the Precision Health Pod, where we talk to the people building and experiencing the future of health. Today, I want to welcome Nusheen Hashemi. Nusheen is the founder of January AI, a company using AI to help you eat smarter and live healthier. She's also a tech veteran, investor, and a philanthropist with a family office portfolio of over 100 investments. Welcome to the podcast, Nusheen. Thank you for having me. Excited to jump into the conversation. Well, I would love to get started by just hearing a little bit more about your background. Where did you get started and, and how did you get to where you are today? Well, um, I started at Oracle pretty um, early. I was 22. I uh, spent about 10 years there. Um, and then .com in the mid-90s. And then um, a family office, um, which we started in um, around... 2000. And then, uh, yeah, I was basically was running um, investments, uh, or family philanthropy, and also raising my kids. Um, and a few years later, I decided to go back to tech when my kids went looked like my first, my first child was um, going to be wrapping up high school. Um, soon, I decided to go back um, to the dark side. So I started going to some of the portfolio companies and uh, running those and then decided in 2016 to start my own company um, <clears throat> and then did a I'm a very thorough researcher um, and landed on on health and then landed on AI and health in 2016 <laughs> way before people thought it was cool um, and it was a, an interesting you know battle getting here and I'm really happy that other people are waking up to the power of AI in general but the power of AI and health and how did you come to that kind of research conclusion in 2016, like you said, before anyone was really talking about it? Well, I was very interested in prevention. So I felt I first fell into the idea of um, basically precision health. I fell into prevention and then multiomics. That was the next thing. It was like, well, why are we missing these things? Why are doctors misdiagnosing? Why are doctors missing um, diagnoses and letting people know way too late. Um, oh, because we're not screening, because we're not looking. Why are we not looking? Because we're worried about worrying people. We're worrying about like worrying them um, and we don't want to alarm people without causing having them over test. But then it seems like we're not, um, you know, even today, uh, five, six years later, People are not getting screened for prediabetes, right? In this country, you only get pre-screened. You only get screened if you are over forty and obese, literally, um, and otherwise you're not. So, ninety-six million people, one out of three people in America, has prediabetes right now, and a good portion of those people will end up with diabetes. And yet, no one's bothering to even inform them. Ninety percent of them don't even know it. Ninety percent of the people don't know they have prediabetes. So it's pretty astonishing. So I was pretty fascinated at the time I was interested in what my parents had. So what my mom had had and what my dad had had and their experiences in the medical system, because that's what I was dealing with. So I just became interested in, it wasn't about like in general, I'm interested in health. I was really interested in kind of their journeys and like, how could this be, this, this is horrible. How could this be happening right now? So I became interested in prevention as I sort of um, peeled the onion. I got to, well, we need to have a more holistic understanding of health and not just look at a person's blood markers because that's generally how things people are all like your your cholesterol a1c that's kind of what people look at but your health is actually way more complicated than that um 
And so I became interested in this nuanced picture of health um, that, that took account of, you know, your daily habits, your lifestyle, the, the, you know, the, what you grew up with, the foods you grew up with, your genetics, your microbiome, essentially that multi-omic view of, of the person all the way down to how much social media they're using. What are they doing on social media? And, um, and that's how I found Mike Snyder. He was, he's, he's very well known for multi-omics. He was, he's the multi-omics man, basically, uh, in America. So I found my way to him. And once I found my way to him, um, when we got together, he has type two diabetes and he's obsessed with wearables and he's obsessed with, um, so on my, in my own research and in my own journey, I was falling into health and AI on my own. And then when I met him and he was like, wearables, 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 and CGM, 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 it was like my, everything just lined up, like the sun and the moon and the earth, everything kind of got lined up. And I was like, yes, that is exactly what we should be doing. We should be doing, we should bring inexpensive multiomics to the masses and then eventually kind of adding omics, omics for them. And the most inexpensive thing we could do is what can we learn from their heart rate monitor that they're wearing? Millions of people were already wearing Fitbit or Apple Watch. What can we learn from that? What can we learn from a continuous glucose monitor in addition to the heart rate? So in combination, what can we learn from that? And we have published um, a lot on this. Um, and I'm happy to share our research with you. And then we said, okay, what if we added, we needed to really understand what people were eating because uh, it was such a big factor in terms of their glycemic response and in terms of their metabolic health. And so we turned that into a science, sort of turning food into an assay, which is really, really difficult to do, but trying mm -hmm. to make it measurable so that you can have some sense of comparison, this versus this, this alternative versus that alternative, this snack versus that snack, this, this food at Chipotle versus the other one at, you know, um, uh, Cheesecake Factory, etc. So, um, but it is, it would be very easy for us to then add to this platform um, that we have now blood tests or GWAS or microbiome or anything else or other analytes besides glucose like ketones or lactate. So we have built, uh, we have built a, a great platform and currently what we have is a generative AI that essentially predicts uh, your glucose. Think of it as a, like a weather forecast, you know? Um, so if you didn't have weather forecasts, if people just told you all the time what the weather is like now, um, that would not be that useful to you because there's not much you can do about it right now. But um, to know what will happen, you can pre prepare. And that's kind of our goal is to let you know what could happen with your glucose so that you could make mindful decisions and you can make mindful choices about what you're going to stick in your mouth and in your shopping cart, your shopping basket, basically. That's fascinating and, and completely agree on the multiomics piece of it. There's so many kind of data pieces um, that are all living in silos and it's really about what they are all saying together. Uh, and so I would love to hear a little bit more about, okay, you, you're looking at heart rate, you're looking at CGMs. How are you compiling that data and really predicting what glucose will will be and what are some of those interesting research points that you mentioned that you've seen in, in your kind of approach to do this sure so how we're doing it um so after a person purchase purchase makes a purchase they go through a telemedicine um 
service and they get a prescription for a CGM and they receive their CGM and they download the app and they hook up basically two wearables um, to the app, their CGM and their heart rate monitor. Um, we also have our own food logging, which is um, uh, as good as or better than food logging apps out there like MyFitnessPal and Boozit, et cetera, because we have um, enhanced labeling. So we have glycemic index and glycemic load for foods. We also draw personalized curves for people, glucose curves for people, for any food in our database. So we have food logging. So they have heart rate monitor, CGM, and now they, they log their food for about four days, four or five days. And after that, we're able to predict their glucose um, response to any of the foods in our database. So this means that, um, you know, you, you can train on food A, B, and C, and then we're able to give you predictions for food, you know, D, and F. Um, and how we do it is basically, you know, it's taken us six years to get here. Um, and we've, we've done so many layers of things. It's really interesting when people ask us, well, is it, are you doing this? Um, no, we tried that. <laughs> are you doing this? No, we tried that too. Um, but, but basically, um, it's, um, you know, it's not, it's not crazy fancy. It's using essentially AI, um, with the, with these different data sources that we're getting in terms of, um, what we've learned, we've learned so much. Um, we've learned five years ago, um, six years ago, when we started uh, researching, we learned that any movement post meal would lower your blood sugar. And this is something we contributed to the world. Nobody knew that before we started talking about it. And then I think, I think maybe glucose goddess popularized it or somebody popularized it because it's now well understood that movement lowers your blood glucose, but it wasn't then. Like it was interesting for ourselves because we were wearing CGMs and we were experimenting on ourselves um, and eating guar gum. That's a whole, whole separate thing because we have a second product, which is Eden's, our symbiotic product, which is our prebiotics, probiotics, polyphenol um, uh, product that we developed in our own wet lab um, and with our own proprietary assays. So we were doing, we were, we were researching both on the AI side, but also the supplement side. <clears throat> and um, so some of the things we learned, so that that was one, um, that movement mattered so much. We knew that um, people in the beginning, uh, I think, well, not, not for us, but other people who were not science-based, when they started getting into CGMs, they, they thought um, their goal was to keep your blood glucose just flat all the time, like the same number. <laughs> that's like such a bad idea. Um, you don't want that. You don't want, um, uh, of course you want balanced blood sugar, but your blood sugar is going to go up and down based on what you do. And so if you exercise, you're going to have higher glucose, for example, but that's okay. It's a, that's a good, that's a good thing. Um, so I think the second thing we tried to teach people was that glucose variability was, was normal and it was okay to have it and healthy people have their glucose go go up and come down pretty normally. But, but um, what the area for concern is when your glucose goes up and doesn't come down or sort of goes sideways. And so it means like you have excess or you're not processing, you don't have enough insulin meeting it, or those are the times where you're concerned. So for people who already have diabetes, for example, you definitely want to minimize their, their glucose excursion too much, too much glucose excursion for them. But for a healthy person, that's not that's not a that's not a problem. 
Um, so I think one of the one of the things we've had to um, I would say that the a second item has been telling people both imparting the fact that glucose um, having healthy metabolism is so critical to overall health, but at the same time letting them know that we are not trying to pursue a same number all day long of glucose because that's that's uh, that's kind of crazy. Um, you need to move around. You eat. Things happen. And glucose goes up and down, but you want to have healthy, healthy glucose variability. You don't want to have excessive glucose variability. And it's one of the things that our product shows you is they show you, uh, we show you the biggest spiking foods, and then we try to show you alternatives to those spiking foods so you can hack your foods. Um, other things um, were, you know, we've looked at fasting, for example, the importance of fasting to improve insulin sensitivity. And we've shown that people can learn to fast fairly easily and it's not dangerous to them at all. Like their blood sugar is managed just fine. And um, so I think that's been interesting for people to know, oh, I can fast. I'm, I'm, I, you don't have to be one of those super optimizer athletes to have the discipline to fast. I can do it too. It's safe for me and it wasn't that hard. Um, we also, figure out like number of calories for people based on their activity level. And I think sometimes it's surprising because people think, well, a healthy adult should eat 2000 calories. Well, depends on your, depends on your activity level and depends on basically so many other factors for you, obviously. Um, so, yeah. So I think we, we essentially have taken five levers of improving insulin sensitivity and work on those, intermittent fasting, calorie restriction, movement, increasing fiber in people's foods, like increasing um, the amount of fiber they're, they're getting and hacking their high spiking foods. And those have been really helpful and the results have been great. People have eaten less carbs, less overall calories, um, ate more protein, ate, um, had more fiber and lost weight. Um, so, it is definitely, um, it's definitely, definitely worked. What are some of those high spike foods, one or two of them? And what are some ways to kind of hack those foods as you, as you mentioned? Sure. Yeah. I'll give you my own examples. Um, so I think one of the typical things is, um, I was putting, for example, a whole banana in my morning smoothie. I actually don't need a whole banana. Like that spikes you. That's, that just makes the the smoothie much more spiky than if you put half and half of the banana is fine actually <laughs> and then for a while i went experimenting having no banana in it at all i just put my cash short and my protein powder and my my edens are, are symbiotic and um and that tastes wonderful and so you'd be amazed when you you, you know hacking something you can reduce its quantity basically um the other example that i give um it's been years and years since I don't eat like a sugary breakfast. I mean, I can't even, I would never ever do that. Um, <laughs> I, I would eat it like if it were part of a brunch or something like that. And I would have, I would have a bite. Of course, I eat plenty of, um, plenty of yummy things. Um, but if you're used to getting that coffee with, you know, with that croissant or that, uh, you know, you're able to simply, if you're standing there at Pete's Coffee or you're standing at Starbucks, looking at that menu, it's really easy to just grab like an almond croissant and walk out with your coffee. And 
you know, you could just eat half of that almond croissant. If you must have that almond croissant, then have half of it and have a hard boiled egg, for example. That's a simple way to to hack it. And and you know, you could wrap that half half croissant, have it the next day. Some people think that's too much work, but what's your body? I mean, your body is I mean, you have one body. <laughs> you have you have one body to work with and it's really worth I think sometimes it's, you know, we are, we are not about deprivation. We're not about don't eat it because we just know that doesn't work. We know nutritionists will tell you that that just doesn't work. Depriving people of things. Um, it's, you know, human nature. If people, if you tell people you can't have something, that's all they can think about. That's all they want to have. So I think what you want to do is you want to figure out what's healthy for them, what's working for them, what's not, what's not spiking them, and have them eat a little bit more of those. And what what are the things that are spiking them a huge amount? And have them eat a little bit less of those. And just over time, retrain your palate away from some of those things. Um, I have, you know, my prime example for me is I'm a hot chocolate connoisseur, or was. And I was traveling, you know, to have hot chocolate. Like there was this... Um, maybe I always give this example because it was such a learning for me. Um, when, you know, I was, I was early on in the, in the company's, um, history, I was talking to Tracy McLaughlin, who's our SAB member, our scientific advisory board member from Stanford. She's a professor of endocrinology. And I was sitting next to her and I said, you know, look at my curve, look at my hot chocolate curve. And I can't believe how much it spiked me. And she said, well, it's a triple threat. It's hot. It's liquid and it's full of sugar. And I just, I was like, it was like a light bulb went off. Um, and after that, I started drinking, you know, I had maybe three more times. This is um, six years ago. And I think I've had three more times I've had hot chocolate, but in less and lesser quantities. I still love it, but I mean, I still think about it and I think, yeah, do I need it? Like, do I really, if I have to have something, I'll eat it. But um, I don't believe in like complete, like, I don't do that. I don't do this. There's, I think all of those are aberrated kind of weird ways of looking at food. And ultimately we're in this situation because we have a very strange relationship with food and it's not all us. Our system is meant to addict us to foods that, um, you know, are unhealthy for us. Definitely. There's a lot of extra added sugar and, and a lot of things that most people don't realize there's sugar in. And the the hot chocolate example, the, the liquid hot and sugar, uh, there's likely very few people that understand that that can, the sugar plus the liquid plus the, the heat all matters when it comes to how you think about glucose. It definitely sounds like you've done a lot around nutrition, diet, you're taking your uh, symbiotic, the Eden, probably wearing a CGM. Is there anything else you're doing on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis uh, as you think about your overall health? Yes, there are lots of things. There is no silver bullet to being healthy. So um, I do strength training two times a week. Um, I wish I could do more, but that's all I can do right now. Twice a week, I do strength training. Um, I um, I try to fast until noon. Um, I, I actually go, I can't, I don't do everything at the same time. So maybe for three weeks, I won't have any sugar, any added sugar. So no syrup, honey, um, sugar added to anything. Uh, recently I've been doing intermittent fasting. No, just no breakfast, just eating lunch and dinner between 12 and 6 30. 
So those I find are really, really helpful. Just the combination of uh, restricting calories and just also time, res time restricted eating is really helpful. Um, uh, what else? Of course, you mentioned Eden's. Yes, I take that daily. Um, that's for sure. And like, if the if there's one thing that involves sticking something in your mouth, like one ingestion of anything, the biggest intervention is fiber. <laughs> Eat more fiber. It's it's um, so good for not just your metabolic health, but for inflammation. It's good for um, all of you know staving off chronic conditions. So that's really really important. So I would say exercise fiber. I also, for my sleep, I, you know, I've tended to be, to be a workaholic my whole life. And so, um, it's easy for me just to just keep working and not paying attention to, um, to, to, you know, what's, what's happening. And I think the biggest, the biggest, uh, loss from that habit is lack of movement and exercise, you know, being, being stationary but I would say the next thing is sleep like if I don't if I keep working until 9 30 or 10 of course I'm not going to sleep well so I think that you know one of the things I really try to do is lights out between 9 30 and 10 30 so if I am working that will shift a little bit out but otherwise my goal is um my goal is to sleep between 9 30 and 10 30 for sure and I try not to um eat too closely to bedtime so two things you can do with January's product um, frictionlessly. If you're wearing a CGM and you're wearing a heart rate monitor at the same time, then we can tell you your fasting period and your eating period. We can also tell you how close to bedtime you're eating without you logging anything. Um, again, with no friction at all. If you're not wearing a CGM anymore, you're, you're relying just on the AI, then you'd have to log your food um, and then it will track that for you. But if you're wearing two sensors, you don't need to do anything. We have something called food detect technology and it will figure out what you were doing essentially. And um, it will figure out um, the gap between your last meal and sleep. So that's another really big factor. Um, I know that if I had a glass of wine, well, I will never have a glass of wine. If I have three sips of wine, my, is my wine thing. Um, if I have that, I will. my heart rate will be too high overnight. So I just don't do that anymore. Um, unless, you know, if I really feel like it sometime I'll have it, but in general, I just go, you know, is it worth it? Like I, I love waking up in the morning rested the different now that I know how that feels after years of not having that and just getting up and just going through the whole thing, waking up fresh and just jumping out of bed and, um, getting to my work is so exciting that, um, I just want to have that over and over. And I know in order to sleep well, I need to not eat certain things, not eat too close to bedtime and give myself a gap in terms of my work when I stop working and when I actually go to bed. Sometimes I'll try to sauna. Um, so my goal is to sauna Tuesdays and Thursdays, but I don't always get to do it, but um, that's my goal and just relax. And when you go into the sauna, then don't be on your email. <laughs> don't be don't be responding um, to messages just you know, try to, to, to be calm and just relax. The alcohol piece is so interesting. I, I think it's, it's such a conversation that's been coming, but is being had at, at such a high rate right now, because there's more and more people that are wearing basically sensors or wearables that can track data. And every single wearable shows that if you drink alcohol, your metrics go in the wrong direction. 
Um, and so it's the, the three sips. I actually love that because I'm someone who I love three sips of wine or I love to have like a couple sips of a margarita or something like that. But drinking the whole thing is just going to tank my sleep. It tanks my um, it makes my HRV worse. I am not as productive the next day. Uh, and so the, the alcohol piece is, is something for for people who haven't looked into that. Uh, it's definitely something where reducing is, is going to help um, regardless of kind of who you are. 100%. Yep, for sure. And from a kind of mental health perspective, you're a founder, you do a lot. Uh, there's likely stressors in your life. How do you manage stress? Uh, so this may sound super cliche, but one of the things that I do that that I just love is my, my gratitude journal. Um, so I start with gratitude every morning, acknowledging um, everyone that's made it possible for me to be here um, right now and to have the privilege to be working on an important problem um, that affects so many people and on such a positive thing to, to try to get people to be healthier because we live in a very uncertain and very tumultuous world right now. And the biggest wealth that people can have is their health. I really believe that health building is wealth building. Um, I sincerely believe that with, you know, every part of my body. So it makes me, um, you know, basically I'm running, maybe that's not really answering your question because I'm running on adrenaline because I just, I'm so excited about what I'm doing. But I start with gratitude and I, and I set, the, set the intention for the day and I decide sort of what's going to make the day great today and what are some of the things that I must get done. Um, so a combination of focus and productivity, you know, when I get things done, it makes me super happy. Um, but um, starting with gratitude, setting the intention, making sure that I am not just thinking about tasks and getting things done, but how people feel around me and what, how I'm making people feel as well. And just um, being aware of that sort of human connection that we're having and optimizing that human connection, being a source of joy for people, being a source of energy and positivity um, and, um, uh, and, and, you know, putting that out into the world um, and just taking that, you know, that beautiful path, that beautiful sort of high road in everything that faces you. We're going to face problems every day. Um, what matters is how we react to those. And we can completely react in a crazy way and just like overreact. And we can or we can try to process the data, understand why it's happening. What are we facing now? What should we do? What's next? What's the most healthy action that we can take. Um, the other thing I try to do, I don't always do it, is um, as a coach once told me, vote for Nusheen. If you're faced between two things, vote for vote for Nusheen. I don't do that. I tend to do things for other people. I tend to do things for humanity, team members, my company, my family. I don't tend to do a lot of things for myself. And so now sometimes when you know his voice is in my ears so when i'm thinking oh my god it's already nine o'clock i don't want to go to the sauna now it's so late and i think vote for nishi <laughs> and i go go do that go do that because it's good for you um so i think some positive affirmations of yourself even just going yes this will be good for you this will make you more productive this will be good um 
And I think, you know, social time with friends, I really, I'm very lucky to be part of um, many groups and many communities each, you know, from different parts of my life and different angles. I love my Stanford community. I, I love my my tech community, which I, you know, see in different ways. I, I'm also, um, was born in Iran, a Persian community. I love hanging out with, you know, with with my my Persian friends and and eating that food and having you know talking about their kids and just so I try to give you know um, be active philanthropically and support um, organizations um, so I feel like just um, what gives me energy is just having a you know a a full life of of wonderful things and for me personally i get huge amount of enjoyment from building i'm one of those people i would i will never be someone who wakes up at 11 i'll never be the one who goes out to vegas with girls like i i'm just like a worker i'm just a geek i'm a workaholic it's true um but i get joy out of those things and i really enjoyed like raising my kids i took them to 106 countries i homeschooled them in addition to you know, sending them to school, their schools were, you know, was part of my educational portfolio and strategy wasn't the whole thing. So I've done amazing, amazing things. Um, and, you know, building January is another one of those like labors of love um, of because, you know, to give life to something that doesn't exist, you know, to convince machine learning people in 2017 to come and work for a health company that doesn't, you know, it's just like opening its doors. It's crazy to be able to get people to do that. But, um, you know, I, I've loved the journey. It, the messy middle is really, really messy. And yes, I did go through. I absolutely 100% went through, I would say, four and a half years of absolutely grueling 14-hour days. On average, sometimes I worked more where I couldn't do the things I value so much, like floss my teeth. Um, just go to the bathroom or be able to eat. It, it's only been a, as a result of actually um, my son, um, um, his encouragement um, and the work that he's doing that I actually agreed to schedule time to eat lunch, um, like actually like eat lunch, not just like, you know, just, you know, just eat something while I was doing something. So um, and I think when he first said that I should allow five minutes before between Zoom calls, I thought, you know, there was a like a major assault on my <laughs> life. I was like, what? Um, but of course, now it seems like such a no brainer. There's just these small, small things, small hacks we can make in our lives. It's like, yes, yeah, schedule it five minutes earlier, you know, go to the bathroom, brush your teeth and do those things that are going to make you happier. Uh, so I'm giving you a very long answer, but I just to say that it's a journey and I'm not there and um, it's a struggle and we just all have to keep at it. But what I'm hearing is there's a lot of kind of easy, simple, free things that a lot of people can do to just interject a little bit more on a daily basis, whether it's taking five minutes before a Zoom call or going for a walk after a lunch, even if it's 10 minutes. Uh, there's a lot of simple things. It doesn't have to be everything all at once. We have this kind of biohacking culture that's coming downwards and people are hearing about it. And it doesn't have to be a crazy optimizer. You can wear an Apple Watch and understand what your HRV is and make choices based on that. 
that for some is biohacking, but for a lot of people, it's, I'm just making more data informed decisions, which is what we should be doing with our health. Uh, and and as you think, you said like machine learning engineers coming on board in 2017, you saw this before a lot of people, multi-omics back in 2018, 2019, when I started working on it was, what are you doing? Um, but we've come such a long way uh, with now 2023. What do you think is next? I know you're an investor, you're a founder in this in this space, looking at AI, What what is the health industry going to look like? And how is AI really going to play a role going forward? Well, I think we're going to see a lot of um, convergence. I think right now you're still seeing individual products, like you're seeing individual, like people are business, building a business around a CGM or something like that. I think you're going to see convergence and you're going to see, um, you know, I think the LLMs are going to have a big impact, I think, um, on, on everything, for example, uh, in terms of health. So I could imagine you having a nutritionist in your pocket, basically, who is like, oh, Rachel, it's Tuesday, and I know you're working out Tuesday. So, hey, do you want to have this drink before? Remember, have, you know, take your amino acids before your workout, or do you want to do take some electrolytes after? Or it's going to be able to remind you of things and get you to do things. So I think once we understand people's behavior, so we we at January are working, we, we worked on a biological model for the last several years. Right now we're working on a behavioral model. So we're going to predict what you're going to do next, whether you're going to sleep next, eat next, exercise next, or whatever. And behavior change is going to be so much more um, contextual because you are more likely to take a recommendation to do something if it is done within the context of your life as opposed to just randomly. Um, and so we are excited about putting together essentially biological um, predictions with behavioral predictions to be able to then make you really healthy recommendations. And I think with LLMs, we can we can do that with that combination. So I think the convergence of these things, think of it as the old iPod, if you want. You know, there was there was music sharing and then there was, you know, it took it took one one person, one incredible genius. To figure out, oh, you know, well, it took him and his team of many to, they came up with a new hardware. So the hardware innovation was new. And then they came up with this, the whole digital experience of like forward, you know, um, uh, essentially fast forwarding a, a song or something like that, which we couldn't do before we should, we used to do it with cassettes. And then, so it was the hardware experience that was the content. They went and licensed all this legitimately legally licensed all of this uh, sort of music content and bought some as well and then the ultimate innovation was the business innovation which was like 99 cents a song and the combination of these things just led to this like complete revolution in music and just made it so much more accessible to so many more people and then streaming came and and you know and the rest is history and i think right now we're still in these moments where there's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and there's People generally understand multiomics, but but not everyone has access to like 30 million people have taken a GWAS test. So we do have, you know, 50 million people are wearing an Apple Watch. And like, so we are where we are, but we need the convergence of these things to come together. And then we need this sort of human layer on top of it that just makes this all accessible to people and makes it actually useful. The second thing I'm really excited about is the wearables. I think we're going to see more people wear sensors without thinking about it. And I think these sensors are going to get cheaper and they're going to get smaller. 
And over time, like the current um, Libre 3 by, um, by Abbott is just as big as two US pennies. It's just really small. Um, it's really easy to wear and it, it's continuously um, providing data to your, to your phone. So I think wearables are going to get smaller, smarter. They're going to read more, more things from your body, not just one or two things. They're going to read multiple things, just like Apple is is reading more and more things from your body. I think um, the current glucose sensors are going to read more things, and then there are going to be new sensors that we haven't even seen today, and potentially even sensors. There's one that I'm really excited about that you can inject under your skin basically it can stay for 900 days and it can and, and it can report on like 20 20 analytes so i mean i can't wait for the day that we can track cortisol on people and see their stress levels um so so i think that's going to happen so i think as wearables um become more prevalent the more ai we can do on them and the more we can see what's normal for this person and what's unusual for this person and those, those events that are unusual will, will be able to alert them, hey, think about this or talk to your doctor about this. Definitely. There's so, there's so much that's coming on the, the how do I get data about my body and, and what can I do with it? Right. And I'd say the third thing I'm really excited about is the advancement of food as medicine, as a movement. I think people are waking up to the fact that food is a medicine. They're taking five or six times a day and that it has an impact, a direct impact on their health. And they're realizing, aha, uh -huh, I have something to do with my health and I can, I can actually dial my health based on what I'm sticking in my mouth. And so again, role of fiber is really important. We think that is undervalued right now in, in the American diet and the Western diet. Um, so I think food as medicine as a, as a movement is going to have a huge impact on, um, on what is, what we are, what we are to see. I hope that big food companies actually start thinking about adding more fiber to foods and reducing salt and sugar and fat, um, certainly as a strategy um, of, you know, addicting people to, to these um, snacks that are not great for us. Definitely. I think food has such a, has such a place and, and so, so much potential to, to help instead of hurt, which is what it's doing now. Um, and last question, would love to hear any advice you have for um, anyone who may be starting out in their career that wants to get involved in health, that wants to kind of go into the health and AI and, and really make an impact in that, in that category. Yeah, I would say um, it really depends from where they're coming from, but I would say um I would, you know, this may be an unusual piece of piece of uh, advice, but I would say read academic papers. They're really fascinating. Like look up, um, subscribe to as many things as you can um, in terms of the, the, the state of science is way, way, way ahead of state of medicine, right? State of science is 10 to 15 years ahead of standard of care. So if you're interested in health, you're gonna to have to know what is happening in labs today. And so I would look at um, academic publications. Um, today, something I just posted on LinkedIn about the microbiome of people that are 100 years old, looks like microbiome of young people. And so um, look at like why, what are the factors and how do you keep a healthy microbiome? And what are the factors or what are the characteristics of a young microbiome versus an older person's microbiome? Um, so I would say um, 
get closer to research. And I know a lot of people are counting on certain influencers to kind of translate that research for them. And that's okay, you can do that. But if you said, this is a young person who wants to get into AI and health, I would say I wouldn't get my data from, you know, all the wonderful people we know that we love. Um, I would get it directly from the papers because, you know, get into the weeds, learn, you know, that's what I did for the first three years when I started this work. I was reading academic papers on a daily basis, um, multiple of them. And it was my life. You know, I was I got to a point where I actually became somewhat respected by all my scientific um, collaborators <laughs> because I started from knowing almost nothing, just knowing about the concept of multiomics to actually learning um, so much more. So I would say get close to the research. I would say that's one of the most important things. Uh, and the second is, you know, I would stay on top of the state of AI. AI is changing daily um, right now. So I would really close to what is happening, what are the tools and what's going on. And I would be part of communities where I could be around other people that want to co-found with you or people who want to tackle these things with you, um, because there's definitely more uh, to manage than just, you know, um, one person. Uh, the other thing is I would try to ask yourself, what part of health do you want to write? What, what's, what part of healthcare that's wrong do you want to write right now? I was interested in prevention because what I thought was wrong is you were waiting until the end to sort of figure out. So I picked something pretty holistically, but some people are interested in AI applied to big data, like claims data and EHR data. I was, I was less interested in that. I was more interested in the personal science, what like your body. So I was more interested in AI applied to the human body as opposed to AI applied to tons of like hospital records. That's also interesting. And I think we also need that. And I think January will actually incorporate that data too. But what was driving me, um, so just, just as I give advice to people on philanthropy and I say, well, fight, figure out what it is you want to fix and what, what wrong is really bothering you. I would say, figure out your approach to change here. Are you interested in like the financial side of healthcare and AI? You're interested in like the physical like body of the person and, and AI, because they're different approaches. And based on the approach you want to take, like what are you trying to fix? You're trying to fix transparency of pricing. You're trying to get people access to their data. Maybe you become an advocate for consumers owning their own health data. Um, and you just make that your life's worth. Um, we shouldn't have all these people that are selling the data to you once also expect to be part of every transaction you do with that data. Um, and get, you know, extract rents from that. So you can become an activist just about consumers owning their own health data. Um, you know, you can work on interoperability of systems and, and working um, to get more of this data connected for people and having them come out of silos as they are today. So you kind of take your approach to change, I would say, um, would be my third advice. That's all such great and very tactical advice. So thank you so much for sharing. And, and Eugene, it was great uh, to be on. Really appreciate the time uh, and you joining me today. Thank you, Rachel, for having me. I really enjoyed it. And, and kudos to you, Rachel. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. This was a, a great episode. Madden and Mitchell Media.